Greetings, I'm Simon Devereaux, Director of Global Talent Development at Framestore, and a warm welcome back to the Framestore podcast, episode 38, part two. In part one on Monday, we opened up the Framestore Daily's questions to get under the hood of Framestore's incredible award-worthy work on Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, with special guests, visual effects supervisor Alexi Weisbrot and lead animators Pete Warbis and Chris McGall. So let's not keep you waiting any longer. Flip your cassette over to side B of your awesome mix volume three, slide it into your Walkman and press play. Here's episode 38, part two of the Framestore podcast, our Guardians 3 Awards special. Get in the f***ing car. So uh, we've, we've been calling out team members already, and uh, I wanted to hear more about the team you were working on. I, I talked about the credits uh, at the start of the, at the top of the episode, where it's so many people. I'd love to kind of get under the hood of uh, working on a show like Guardians 3 and understand, you know, the team. I'd love you to tell me about the team you were working with. So, uh, Chris, could you kick us off? Could you talk a bit about the team you were working with, some of the kind of relationships you built and the, the experience of working on Guardians as a, as a crew? Yeah, absolutely. Um, as I mentioned before, so the our first Anim Soup on the show was Nathan uh, McConnell. We also had uh, Chris Hurt came on and joined us mm-hmm. um, a little bit later on. Um, and what they did was Nathan kind of took the, uh, I think he, he had all the flashback sequences, and then Chris Hurt was in charge of uh, the Stampede and then the, um, the rescue uh, sequences as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were, I think... Pete and I were the leads on the flashback, and then over on the other team, it was uh, Christoph Kubi. I know Liam was on it for a little bit, um, so I think they had three leads over there. Um, and then team-wise, I'm trying. I don't know, Pete. How many animators do you, do you reckon we had? I, I feel like by the end of it, we, we had half of the company, or, or probably even even more. Yeah, it, it seemed like everybody was on it at some point. It was by far the. Having worked on the many, many short frame stories, it was by far the strongest yeah. animation team ever you can assemble, mm-hmm. not only at Framestore, but I think easily in the world. We had uh, animation supervisor level people just animating shots. Yeah. Uh, Liam Russell and Mike Brunet and Al Vise and all of these guys were just animating shots. And there's a great supervision of Chris Pitt, uh, Nathan uh, and uh, Chris Hart. But it's, it's insane. The, the animation team that we managed to bring on that project well, show how much Framestore cares about Guardians and how much we all care about Guardians as artists at Framestore because everyone wanted to work on it. And I think it's it's fantastic. And I think it's all, we were talking about the success of the movie and why is it so successful. I think, well, you have it. You have an amazing animation team, probably one of the best ever. Thanks, Alexi. How did the dynamics work? So as as lead character animators, Chris and Pete, you know, what's your role in the 
the, the show over all of those years. You know, could you give us a bit of an insight into what a, the role of a lead character animator is? Yeah, yeah. maybe it's worth sort of um, sort of establishing the difference between say say a lead animator and an animation supervisor. Um, so, an animation supervisor might might sort of look after either all of the sequences across a particular site, or, or if it's a particularly big show, you might have a couple of anim supers as we as we did on Guardians. Mm. Um, they'll obviously also be in charge of broadly across the board uh, liaising with with other departments about rigging requirements and and uh, other things um as as leads i guess we we're, we're sort of a, a step between animators and and soups in in some regards okay. so we're we're working with much smaller teams so usually i don't know up to say 10 animators at a time on sort of one or two sequences, depending on um, how big those sequences are, it might might be more sequences. Uh, we'll also be animating as well, so so our time will be split between uh, doing our own shots, which which are incredibly time consuming, um, and also giving feedback to other people, attending dailies, making sure that we're on top of the feedback that the animation supervisors are giving uh, to the animators. So between dailies, uh, we might be giving feedback then to to make sure that the animators themselves sort of know know where they're going with the shots to, to check that they're hitting the notes. Mm. Um, and yeah, it's, 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 it's a time consuming role, but it's a, it's yeah. a fun one. Yeah. yeah. As Pete said, it's also about um, as animators, we kind of, you know, animation takes a long time and it's so mm. intricate and, you know, 24 frames being a second. So that's 24 pictures for those who don't mm. know in one second. Um, and I think a lot of times animators, we get really stuck into a shot, but you kind of forget what's coming around the whole thing. So yeah. So as supervisors and leads, we try to we try to keep an eye on the bigger picture as well, just to kind of make sure that shot, you know, people will do something and you'll be like, well, actually, we can't do that because it's kind of happening later on in the sequence. And they might not realize that because they're so stuck into what they're doing. So it's it's yeah. it's that, you know, kind of keep keeping an overall picture. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, what Pete said, too, it's it's a it's a challenge. It's uh, it's doing some big shots sometimes and trying mm-hmm. to set the tone for the team as well. Um, and sometimes like in my case, when I, if we come on earlier on the show, we help with development work, which is where we're trying to find the character, um, find out how they move, working with the other departments, rigging and modeling and, yeah. and kind of getting a, getting a feel for the character on that. So that's a, another aspect that we do as well. Cool. Thank you, Chris. And what makes, Alexa, you talked about, uh, the team being the strongest animation team yeah, in the world, right? I mean, world, world-class team outside of the technical, uh, animation mastery, what made that that team so special? What made that team so amazing and world class? So first, I think we have to be clear that Chris, Pete, and myself we are both working from the London office. So we are mostly here highlighting the work of the London office of the London team. The show is of course a multi-site show, and I think we should not forget mm-hmm. to that there were another anime soup in Montreal, another in Vancouver. And they did fantastic work. The opening sequence between Adam Warlock and Groot is fantastic as well. And uh, and the Vancouver team did a lot of Groot, did a, some some of Rocket injured on the hospital um, bed. But, hmm. And it's really, really great work. And I think we should definitely mention my two colleagues, uh, VFX supervisor, Stéphane Nazé hmm. yeah. in, uh, in Montreal that supervised the, the opening sequence, as well as... Some second segments that you were um, speaking about the the very end of the movie where they all start dancing yeah. and and you were saying about this rocket this is actually done in Montreal uh, it's a Montreal sequence they did the, this finale uh, of all the one dancing and the opening sequence 
and uh, and Ross Maccabe with the VFX ship for for Vancouver, which also did a fantastic and joined slightly later than uh, than me and Steph. I also want to mention my producer, uh, who I worked with on uh, Spider-Man: Far From Home, which was also a very challenging one. Mm-hmm. Annette Willem, she's uh, now based in uh, in New Zealand, uh, but uh, she's still at Framestore, and she's. Uh, She's fantastic, and uh, she was overseeing the three sites. And actually, because we were doing the holiday special as part of the project, the holiday special was just embedded into the movie. Like, it was just a sequence of the movie for us, the holiday special. It was 200 shots, but it was just a sequence that, uh, that we were delivering on top. So, And actually, even the, our Melbourne office actually helped us on some compositing wow. on some of the holiday specials. So, so basically, and obviously, let's not forget our Mumbai team that didn't deliver shots as a whole, but helped on multiple departments, CFX, compositing, prep, uh, to, to, to help us on the shot. So basically, Guardian is a really, really collaborative, as Pete was saying, effort from all our different sites. And I think that's uh, because we, we, we ended up doing it all together with, uh, with all the sites together, plus all the, at least 1,200 shots, which is just massive on a Marvel project because they are very complex work and they, the timeline is quite tight. So working on that many shots, it was the first time we, we, we took that many shots on a Marvel project. And I think it's, it's because we were able to, to divide and conquer between all the different sites. And mm. so definitely a huge, massive effort from everyone, yeah. mm-hmm. including all the departments that are hidden that Pete was mentioning and Pete and Chris were mentioning at the beginning, whether it's a pipeline or R&D or HR or management or mm-hmm. production. So, so, so massive team next to me, directly working with me, there were definitely Annette, our producer. They were uh, Horatio Mendoza and Daniel, my CG supervisor. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, you know, like a, a VFX supervisor is going to say, oh, let's do that, let's do that, let's do that. <laughs> but at some point, there is someone that needs to, yeah. how do we do that? How do we do this uh, 300 uh, animals running from a pipeline perspective? And uh, Horatio Mendoza was actually key in the development. <laughs> one, one quick anecdote as well. And you don't see it at all. But now the world will know. <laughs> on the cages sequence, there is not only four creatures in the foreground. There is actually 50 animals in the background cages, Whoa. all animated yeah. in the dark. <laughs> you don't see them, but they are there. They are rendered. They are animated by these talented people. And I think, again, it needed some pipeline. And I think... If they were not there, you would feel that there is no motion in the background cage. Here, you feel something. You feel some light. You feel some motion. And I think it helps. Uh, Horatio was key into the development of all of this crowd of, uh, of characters in the background. Uh, too many people. Of course, Nathan McConnell and Chris Earth. I was working really close with them uh, even more than Chris and Pete. That sometime when Nathan was taking holidays, I was, I was mostly talking to Chris and Pete better. But usually, I talked mostly to, to Nathan and Chris who did uh, Fantastic! I think it's a it's a fantastic achievement in a, in the world of animation. So mm. I, I think my comp sup Isaac Leish, he was on his own. Well, he had a, a huge team of uh, comp artists, but I think uh, I think Isaac did uh, did amazing. I had three CG sup by the end of the show, and only one comp sup. And uh, so Isaac took 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 that massive thing and just did it. And I think the yeah. I think the look uh, is is amazing. And, and and Pete was talking a lot about this white corridor sequence. Which of course uh, there is a, there is some complex lighting, but it's a, it's a it's a very much a comp 
achievement to have the right amount of glow and mm. haze and all of that is such a fine balance between being too much or not enough or not not uh, dreamy enough or too dreamy. Or, mm. And same for the cages, everything. Anyway, mm. uh, the particle simulation, I think one of Chris or Pete was mentioning there is lots of dust in the air and particle. Yeah. All of that was not done in FX, was done in, uh, in comp oh, as well wow. with particle simulation in nuke. So, mm. So I think um, I think a, a lot uh, thanks to our amazing comp team. So mm. it's and I can't mention everyone, and I will forget a lot of people. No. So I, I I apologize to everyone. I did forget the team was fantastic all around. Well, we've got the the MVP question coming in case there you get any more light bulb moments. But yeah, it is absolutely a, a, some of its parts. It's the it's it's the every studio took its. Uh, you know, played a part in this show. And I think that's really great to hear as an illustration. And, you know, coming off the back of the pandemic and, you know, hybrid working, everybody kind of connecting as a team, I think, and to create a thing of beauty, I just think it's incredible. Um, so moving into kind of the awards piece now, and uh, if we can stay with you, Alexi, and then we'll kind of work around the uh, my, my grid that I see in front of me, is what, in your opinion, makes this show award worthy? Why is it in all of the awards list? Why is it up for an Oscar and a BAFTA and you know, VES awards and lots more? You know, why is it up there? I think if we, if we are talking about the Oscar, I think it's, it's a joint effort. Uh, there, there were also Weta and Sony doing a, a big chunk of the work as well. Weta has done this uh, one hour, you know, this one long shot in the corridor yeah. fight. And uh, and Sony has done this very organic planet and all of that. Mm. I do think it, like, in order to be Oscar worthy or BAFTA worthy, you can't have a sequence that just drops too much in terms of quality or just doesn't look good. Everything needs to be at a, at a very, very high level. So I think it's... Uh, I think, of course, Framestore, but the other company, everyone and the production, our production side, Super, Steph Serretti and Suzanne, really make sure that the quality across the board is, uh, is really, really good. Uh, the scope of the work is gigantic because you have this massive ship being destroyed. So it's massive, this massive fight in space, as well as this very, very emotional moment in the cages. So you have also a huge scope of work, which from, from two extremes, basically, and you have everything on that. So I think that mm. the, vari- the variety of work is also, in my opinion, Oscar worthy. But being at Framestore and being the VFX Super Framestore, of course, I've got a special attachment to what we've done, especially in the London office, all this uh, flashback sequence and, and the rocket story. Because to me, and, uh, and I think to everyone, it's really the heart of the movie. And I think when you think about it, you have a full CG cage environment. You have four full CG characters. And uh, you have very little time, if you think about it, to get um, emotionally connected to Lila, Tiffs, and Floor. You just get to know them in this movie and they die in this movie and the movie is only going to work if you care for these characters that are weird, that have weird implants and make them a bit horrific. So how do you care for that? So I think it's a, it's a massive amount of work in the asset build to have the right balance between how horrific they are versus how cute the animal is. And, and it's casting over internet hundreds and hundreds of authors and finding the right picture that we think this author could be Lila. This one is cute enough. And, and what is it that makes her cute? And mm-hmm. same for the rabbit, same for the walrus. And, and then with the concept, with some sketches from, from James Gunn, with some concept from uh, the art department of Marvel, all of that. So first you, you have the asset build, then the animation, 
then the, the lighting and all the, the emotion through the eyes. I think all of that put together, you have these sequences, which I think this year, the one movie where audiences cried around the world because of CG characters dying and, 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 and the story of a CG character like Rocket that you don't know if he's going to survive in the movie, mm-hmm. it's Guardians. And I think, I think that's, that's the reason to me why Guardians uh, is award-worthy. I think it's because what, what matters in the movie at the end of the day? It's not the technical achievement. It's how much emotion did you get into an audience? How much mm-hmm. did they care about what they're watching? How much they were into that movie and how much they, they care for these characters. And I think we, in my opinion, succeeded in that. And uh, people cared, people cry. And I think that's what makes Garden special, in my opinion. The name's Rocket. Rocket Raccoon. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think there's so many beats throughout the whole film that elicit emotion. It's not just like a big payoff scene at the end of the movie, is it? It's throughout. You've, and like you say, Rocket's on close to death throughout the whole movie, really, until kind of obviously the big big set pieces at the end. But it is like you're on tenderhooks throughout the whole film and the music and the and the, the performances, going back to what you said earlier about the role of the actors. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's it's incredible. Great answer, Alexi, thank you. Uh, Chris, anything to add to that? I mean, Alexi's done a great job. I'm sure you can add to it. Yeah, I think Alexi nailed it there. But I think the one thing I would add too is it's kind of like you said before, but, but having a director like James Gunn, who's like, you hear a lot of directors called visionary director from the visionary director. But I mean, when you work with a truly visionary director like James Gunn, it's just his vision and his, his story and how he stuck to it. And then if you allow world-class artists, Mm. world-class actors to do their thing without, you know, like I've said before, without changing and and rearranging, if you just give them the time to breathe and the time to, to do their thing, then you, you end up with something like this, Mm -hmm. you know? And I think that's, I think it speaks to really from the top, uh, you know, James Gunn and and his vision for this and, and trusting Mm. Framestore and the other studios to, to, to bring his vision to life and and give us the time and the, you know, the space to do it. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned time earlier on, actually, Chris, just having that kind of creative space to create something incredible. Thank you, Chris. Uh, What about you, Pete? Anything to add to that? I I think you guys are absolutely hitting the nails on the head. It's, it's, um, I I guess it's sort of a very unique, um, film in, in many respects because, I don't think there are many directors um, that that could get away with telling a story like like Guardians Three, mm-hmm. um, and and James being such a trusted director, he's he's got a history of producing fantastic films. Um, I think Marvel and Disney just let him do what he does best, and I, I think it, it comes across in the in the film. It's absolutely fantastic, and and as I said earlier, we we're very lucky to to be able to work with with such a a wide sort of range of of, of sort of emotion for animated characters it's, it's it's been a wonderful show to work on um and I, I think it probably is um a little bit of that 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 opportunity of of those sort of gut-wrenching scenes that that really sort of puts it in the oscar category um i, I guess but part of the uh, the reason it's so emotional as well is because those characters are are animals you you relate to them as 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 pets as as vulnerable beings that that it, it really makes it sort of more distressing when mm. when harm comes to those characters um as, as sort of a, a nation of animal lovers it's um yeah it's a difficult one to watch it is hard to watch, hard to watch and the performance almost of you know obviously bradley cooper as, as rocket i mean mm. you almost want to see rocket raccoon as uh in a i don't know 
actor in a leading role at some point in the future mm. because you know that scene where he wails when Lila's dead and his friends are dead and oh my god it's and he, he keeps doing it oh my god this is pa- so painful to watch and then yeah. the, uh, the 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 bad guy comes in and mocks him for screen oh it's just horrible mm. but the way he acts I almost I want to see that furry creature in the in the grid at the Oscars, you know, yeah, yeah. coming up to collect his collect his uh, trophy. I just think it's it's an amazing achievement, amazing achievement. I mean, what um what new learnings did you all take from doing this show? Because it's such a game changer in terms of the work. I mean, as creatives, as artists, you know, what have you taken away from working on Guardians Three that you're applying to the projects you're on now? Um, Chris, did you want to take this one? Yeah, sure. Yeah, I, th- I mean, I think. I think the biggest thing I learned personally is is that new nuance and the small things really do count. The details that sometimes, you know, if you're an animator getting a note on, you know, an eye lid or something, it can sometimes be a little like, oh, you know, does that does it really matter if it's here or here? And you know, it, it does in the grand scheme of things. When you when you get things right, it works. Hmm. And it's that attention to detail that you know i've even for myself in, in the past i've sometimes come out of a daily session and be like oh is, you know is anybody going to see that is anybody going to notice that but you know what they they will and they do mm. you know i've definitely learned that and i was actually you know trying to, to speak to the team about that as well that that these these small things we're doing while it doesn't seem like much is really going to like you know as far as we were animating pupil dilation wow you know so if if, if the if the eyes open a little bit wider you get a little bit more light in so the pupils will dilate and vice versa when they close. So just little small little details like that, that you wouldn't really think of. And like, you know, just the breath mm. work and how, and how the body reacts to breathing. And, yeah. Uh, so for me, it's just like that detail stuff really, really does matter. Yeah. It's like you said, the drop of how rocket's knees bend and yeah. you know, all those little moments that just mean so much. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. What about you, Pete? What are you taking away from this experience? So I, I, I think this, this was um, probably one of the first, big shows that I've, I've been led on, led on a few shows before, but, but sort of where, where we've had uh, a good chunk of the work. I think this is, um, this is probably the biggest one in, in, mm. in recent memory. Um, and so a, a logistical challenge, I think sort of keeping track of um, lo- lots of different shots across multiple sequences was, mm. was um, definitely a, a learning experience. I think in addition, we, we don't always necessarily have um, a really solid sort of foundation in terms of the the reference um like actor reference and i think in this in this show it was a it was a good a good test for for our animators to not just there's a tendency um when you when you have reference like that to literally copy the motion one for one like you would say essentially a, a mocap sort of process sort of a data in data out thing yeah. literally copying it one for one but i think the mistake there is it's almost like um like sort of tracing a drawing or something that you you don't actually capture the essence of, of what that performance is, is trying to say um and so i think it's it's really important to to think about the meaning behind a, a shot or a sequence and and sort of really get to the uh the foundations of, of why it's important what the what the characters are feeling what their motivation is and to sort of really portray that that performance in a in a faithful way that, that isn't just a, a one-for-one copy but but obviously d- different characters of different proportions as well you have to put an animalistic spin on it you have to um do something slightly different but even just from a performance perspective it's important to really understanding to, to really have a have a strong understanding of what you're you're trying to say yeah yeah it's almost kind of like a directing a actor isn't it from what you're saying it's more than just kind of 
working on the shot and yeah like I say copying kind of movements uh, kind of beat for beat but actually thinking of it as what what's the character's motivations what's uh, directing a living thing which again comes across in obviously the nuanced performances of the animated characters um Alexi what was your big learning from working on Guardians 3 I, I love Pete's answer I think it's a it's really a a filmmaker answers what 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 is this shot about mm. what is this sequence about what what are we trying to say I think that's uh, the question that uh, editors and filmmakers ask themselves every day. And I think it's it's great uh, that animators n- now do the same because we are making a film, mm. you know, like that's that's we are all filmmakers to to a certain degree. And I think it's a, mm. I think it's a, it's a great answer. I love it. But uh, what do I take from 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 Guardians? Uh, it's hard to, hard to answer. I think it's a was such a great show. I think it's a, how do I reproduce the same <laughs> basically on my next show? How do I do it? Uh, like, uh, how, because they were such a great energy and great vibe. The team was fantastic. Our relationship with James and, uh, and, uh, well, you've seen the marketing, Simon. And J- James has been, uh, has been great to us. And, uh, and if every director could do <laughs> the same for VFX in general, that would be fantastic. I think it's a, is just a is just a great show. I think there is so much about it. Our relationship with uh, the different sites, Montreal and Vancouver, was fantastic, and uh, the scheduling of the work was just well done. And there were not too many uh, late nights, and it was just just a very very good show. Where at the end we were all very proud of of delivering fantastic work. Mm. So I think it's uh, how do we how do we achieve the same i think if you want from a from an artistic thing yeah i think the meniscus and the ping in the eye <laughs> is very important Simon. i love that i love that i'm going to retitle the uh, the episode the meniscus episode the meniscus special um can i talk a bit about creative influence because again we've talked about the size of the team right massive massive team global every corner of frame stores involved we've talked about james gunn being this visionary director who really appreciates understands and celebrates visual effects so as, you know, the people on this podcast, you know, where, do you, where was the creative influence coming from for this particular experience, do you think? I mean, it's a big question, but I'd love to get your, your insight. And perhaps we can start with Alexi. It's, it's a complicated one because uh, of course. Uh, we are not making the first one. We are making the third mm. one. So I think a lot of it is already established That's true. Uh, by James and, uh, and the previous movie. So, so Rocket Raccoon has definitely a very defined look. Yes, Groot is slightly more bulky, but he is very defined. So I think the challenge on this one was not that much to to create new influence, like we usually do, actually, working on Multiverse of Madness. I worked on both Doctor Strange and Multiverse of Madness. And actually, on Multiverse of Madness, we were, we were saying, let's not redo the Mandelbrot. Let's do something different. Let's let's try to invent something else. Let's watch all this comic book and, and try. So I think I think the, the first one was definitely influenced by the comic books and the look of Rocket and Groot and all of that. And, uh, and then uh, it was how do we bring the photorealism to them. I think on this one, the, the character design uh, of Lila Tips is, is very similar. I think there, there were some great sketches from, uh, from the Marvel art department and, uh, and from James. And then us at Framestore, it was how do we make them realistic? How do we make them hmm. not like a Pixar movie? Because it's very important. It's not an animated movie. It's a future film. It's, a, hmm. it's, a, it's real. So I think it's 
our job was really looking at more what is real, what is a real rabbit, what is a real author, how does a real author move? So I think our influences and the reference we kept looking at was real things, like like a real lighting reference of real DOP, real, like because that was the game. We had the sketches, but now how do we feel it's real and you are not just watching Monster and, and Ink, you know, like you are yeah. you are not watching a Pixar movie. And I think it's, a, you know, Chris said many times that he had to be subtle in his animation. And I think, I, I think the subtlety comes from different things. First, if you are not subtle, it starts to be a bit cartoony. But also, because we are trying to do something real, these animals in real, they are not emoting that much, mm. you know, like they can open the mouth and that's it. You know, they, they don't have a, a big scope of emotion. And I think part of Rocket animation was as well that story about first, when he's very young, he almost does not emote that much. So a lot is happening in the eyes. And, and the more he grows, the more he can emote and act as a human because the more human he becomes. And I think, I think it was always a balance and as always looking at what is real for all of these characters. Yeah. So I think, uh, I think I would say the, the most, the main influence for me for these movies was we are doing a CG, big CG, full CG section. How do we bring it into uh, a movie uh, language? And, and so that's why I think the way James Gunn shot it with real actors, real cameras, and with the fact that we took the real cameras was so much because a lot of the problem of uh, when we do CG cameras and uh, nothing against you, Chris and Pete, don't, <laughs> but to animate a real camera and having the weight, having the inertia of what a camera operator would do and how he moves, yeah. it's just incredibly complex. It's just not easy at all. And I think having a real mock-up camera on this sequence was fantastic because he was bringing on the full CG shot something real about it. And then, of course, we had to bring more real stuff. Like for me, for example, a CG character, uh, when you interact with the ground and there is no foot contact, really, really hard. So we put this massive amount of dirt on the ground, but not only dirt, little debris, little food, we call it the cat food, anything to put like like old, um, old rag and stuff like that. We put everything. And they are all intact. And each time they walk, you, you have this dust kicking and this debris moving and all of that, which make it more real because it's not just a CG character interacting and does he penetrate the ground or not. It's not just that. It's also something is moving, he's interacting. It's, I, I think to me it was really how do we bring realism to, to that. Mm. But uh, I, I, yeah, maybe that's not exactly what you were after, but I, I think, uh, I think that's, that's for me really what we... I try to get away from CG look, basically. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I thought that's a great answer. And this is why these questions, you, you, can, you can chop them up as you wish, because what you said there about bringing realism to these, these you know, fan, fantastic, cool characters. You know, you, you mentioned uh, the, like, like Floor's character. It's got all that metal all over her face. And so you don't see all the nuance you've spoken about. You don't really see that, but you feel it through the performance of the actor. But I think, again, even for all the implants, it's, it's good that you are talking about the implants because, for example, the, the way we designed it, we, we, we asked ourselves, well, first, what would this crazy Nazi scientist would have? 
they are not Apple. They are not a design company. So it wouldn't be slick, uh, slick implants, white and uh, all that. It would be a bit more MacGyver taking a bit of metal here, taking a bit of a speaker here, taking of that. And that's how we, we, we looked at the reference of old motors, old stuff, rusty and stuff. And how would they bring them together? And then we were always thinking the implants are not just there because it's cool. They are, they have a signification and I think they wouldn't work as good if they didn't mean anything. So for example, rockets, when we did that blend shape going from a very young runt to, to adult, we, we, we already saw well. Obviously, when he's on all four, he doesn't have shoulders, but then he has shoulders. So we'll need an implant to pull the shoulder. So they, and the younger he is, the more imposing the implant will be because that's where he really needs to pull the shoulder. Or we know that the knee needs to grow because the legs become longer. So let's put an implant on the knee to pull the knee. We know that animals on all four don't have a thumb. So let's put an implant that would bring the thumb out because he's becoming a human. So all of this little subtlety that you don't see when you watch the movie or that these implants actually do something that will bring them from an animalistic form to a more human form uh, on rocket. I think, I think they all had sense and same for the speakerphone of, of floor. And actually we tried first to have floor animated when he was talking and James said, no, 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 no. Mm. It's only his brain that is connected. So he doesn't talk. It's just sound, but it's just a bit like Cosmo. Yeah. And, uh, and I think he helped a lot because suddenly we didn't have to animate the, the, the mouse and same for, for Cosmo, the dog, we were able to animate him as a real dog. And only all our references were real dogs rather than starting to be too cartoony because the sound was coming from the speaker he could emote like a real dog, which I think helped a lot the realism of all of this creature. Mm, amazing, amazing. I love hearing this. I mean, it, again, the realism of, the, you know, the scene when they're getting murdered, the characters are getting murdered, and you don't see Floor, but you can hear it. She's screaming something like, it's like Teeth's uh, Floor Rocket Leave yeah, Now or something. It's kind of, she keeps repeating it. And it's just heartbreaking because you know what's coming. But you don't see it and it's just that that realism you bring and you don't even see the character do you yeah. but you hear it and because you've had that introduction to that character and the whole performance and everything you've all been talking about it just lands so well yeah. heartbreaking as it is uh it's just brilliant um anything you'd like to add chris and pete to the the creative influence uh where it was coming from i, I think you you hit a lot of the, those nails again alexi um i i guess from a, from an animation perspective um specifically um we, we were obviously sort of influenced by uh the the performances of, of the actors on set which fantastic reference um we were obviously looking at a lot of uh creature reference um so trying to get those those realistic those believable um nuances in, into into our animation so mm -hmm. for, for example when uh, in the white corridor sequence when Tis is, is waving over to, to Rocket. We found a, a specific example of a, a walrus um, waving and just figuring out the way that the, the, that flipper moves and, and reacts and overlaps. And wow. it, it, was a, it was a great reference and, and perfect um, for, for us to, to be able to, to look at that. Um, it, it's a wonder sort of um, how, how animators would have been able to, to find reference 30 years ago before the internet. We were in a, a very unique um, opportunity or we have a very unique opportunity at the moment with with youtube to be able to uh, to just scour the internet for mm. anything and everything that that helps our our, our work become believable yeah. in addition i guess um obviously yeah for, for a lot of these shots we're staying very close to to what those actors are doing in in 
some cases, um, maybe this is a good good opportunity to uh, to talk about the um, the white corridor sequence. So we we had about halfway through after we'd um, blocked out this sequence, James Gunn was watching the sequence through and, and um, realised that the audio, the the performance wasn't quite hitting the mark that, that he wanted and wasn't quite giving the right um, sort of inference in terms of the, the performance. So they did a re, reshoot um, from, from ADR and that obviously has a huge effect on the animation. And it, it means that the reference shoot that they, they shot initially isn't always 100% sort of relevant or, or it, it becomes sort of, it's a, it's a part of the process then, the step on the ladder in order to find what it is that we're looking for and, and, and mm. to try and find that, that final performance that ends up in the film. And so a lot of the time then we're, we're shooting our own reference. We're, we're sort of exploring different ideas. Part, part of that, that audio um, shoot, Bradley Cooper in, in the booth, he, as, as, as part of his, um, his manifesting of that emotion, he, he ended up covering his mouth during part of his performance. And you, you hear that in the audio. And so it was then sort of figuring out, okay, so how do we make that make sense in the story? And, and, mm-hmm. and, and and making that make sense on him as a character as well because obviously he's got a muzzle okay as a muzzle um and sort of how does how does a character like that with certain proportion limbs wow. hold their muzzle in a way that feels believable and actually one one of the really nice things to come out from from that change uh was that then um halfway through that that sequence Lila takes his hand and sort of comforts him and that was that was something that wasn't in the original um, idea, but but sort of evolved from from this sort of mm. collaboration and and wow. yeah, so it, it was a nice sort of way of making Lila's character more involved in in that scene. Wow, wow, what an insight! Thank you, Pete. Uh, what about you, Chris? Anything to add as well on the creative side? I mean, these guys, I think they they covered it pretty well. But um, I guess the big like like Alexi said, we kind of knew who Rocket was already as mm. a as an older Rocket, so we had that from the previous two films. So it, it was just the challenge of, of, of finding him during these different times in his life. And, and Alexi mentioned the implants and all that. So we, we were cognizant of, okay, well, if he's got implants, you know, like for, for the first scene sequence where they're, they're in the cage, you know, his thumbs aren't working. Mm. He can't really work his thumbs too well yet. So we're not really, when we're planting on the ground, we're not planting on the ground like this. We're making sure it's like this because those implants are, yeah. so it's just little details like that. Cool. Thank you, Chris. So looking back then, if purely from a kind of, you know, traditional review um, perspective, um, is there anything you would have done differently looking back? I mean, it was, it's the perfect film, right? But is there anything that niggles you a little bit? Alexi, do you want to take this one? Oh, I don't want to start that one. Uh, is there anything I would do differently? It's a tricky one because I really think the team did massive, but then I'm going to look very arrogant if I'm not saying something. I think maybe um, it's always uh, one of those things that you, you wish you were more prepared. So, so for example, um, I think in for, for Rocket in, in particular, but for, for, for the other characters as well, I don't think we had a, uh, a dynamic setup for, say, the tails and the ears. Um, and that's something that we, we ended up sort of using proprietary tools to, to sort of add that stuff on on a per-shot basis, which which is fine and it works well. Um, hmm. But it's, it's one of those that... Had had we sort of thought about that earlier, or, or sort of um, had we had more time earlier, then it would have been good to sort of add add that stuff in either into the rig or um, or as part of a, a tool where you can you can load a standard setup 
onto a character, which actually we, yeah. we, we did do for um, for Mantis, for her antenna during the mm-hmm. uh, Christmas special and, and later on into, into the um, the the overall film. But it's, yeah, it's, it's one of those that you think, oh, I yeah. wish, wish I'd done that. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. And, uh, and Chris, same question to you, Chris. You can say nothing. I would change nothing, but you're welcome to share some. Yeah, I'm actually, yeah, I'm like Alexi. I'm trying to think what, I mean, I, I don't know. I just... It's the perfect show. I'm so I'm so happy with the way it turned out. Like if I'm being completely honest, I really think like, you know, the 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 feedback we've gotten from, mm. you know, even friends and family and even the general public. Like, you know, you, when you read you read comments about people bawling their eyes out in the theater and you know, and it, it's just stuff like that where you 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 read that and you think to yourself, okay, well, I think we I think we accomplished really yeah, what we set enough. out to accomplish. It seems like we did it, if I'm being honest. So I, I don't have too much I can't think of it. If, if I'm looking for, for one, it would be what we mentioned a bit earlier, this uh, Chris Pratt interaction with Rocket. Mm. I do think in hindsight, it was so tricky to get them right and to, and to, 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 to make z- really feel that Chris Pratt was touching the fur and all of that. In hindsight, maybe the call would have been to make a very high-res digital of at least his arm and hand and uh, and take over that part, mm-hmm. which is really tricky. And to do a very realistic hand is uh, is tricky. And actually, we had to do it for the evolution. I, actually, the evolution is um, is taking the, the head of rocket in his uh, in his hand a few times. And on this one, we made the call quite early on that we will need that, and that 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 it will never work if we don't do that. But for some reason, we didn't, or I didn't make the call, let's blame me, uh, to, to, to do that on, on, on Chris. And I think, in my opinion, if you look at the sequence, it's really good. But maybe it would have been more efficient and faster to, to have it in CG. So maybe, maybe that. But I really love the work. Otherwise, yeah, it's the per- like I say, it's the perfect film for me. I think it's an unfair question, but thank you for answering the question uh, regardless. <laughs> um, so I know we've uh, shouted out quite a lot of people that worked on Guardians 3, but this is your opportunity to shout out any what I call MVPs, so most valuable players or unsung heroes. Is there anyone we've not mentioned on both of these episodes um, who you'd like to shout out? So I think from a, a an animation team perspective, specifically on on my team, there are a couple, couple of people who wouldn't mind just um, shouting out. So um, uh, Ricardo Pietro Caprina, who I hope I'm, I'm not butchering his, his surname, <laughs> was a fantastic part of the team. Uh, he did the the really complicated shot of um, the the transformation from Baby Rocket to uh, to Rocket, and also he was heavily involved with the opening, the the very opening shot, and I think the the, the shot afterwards of of sort of sixteen baby raccoons all flowing yeah. over each other, which was I, I think it was it was an incredibly long shot. It, it was it was one of those um, takes a, a lot of time to uh, to master, but he did a, a fantastic job. Um, Quick shout out to uh, to Maya uh, Shrester as well, um, who is one of the the more junior members of the team. We 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 actually had some really strong uh, juniors, and and Maya did a fantastic job on um, some of the the rocket shots in the white corridor, and also there was a particular shot of uh, Cosmo in in the Christmas special that she yeah really really nailed that that dog like quality. Um, and lastly, uh, Nate Ross, who is one of our uh, seniors over the pond, and he did some amazing work uh, throughout the whole process. I think he was he was involved um, very early on uh, developing the, the the characters of, of Lila and Teefs and and Floor okay. and and did a, a, a number of shots in um, the escape sequence as well uh, towards the end. The, the, 
some amazing work from from all of those. Brilliant. Thank you, Pete. Chris, MVPs. Yeah, so uh, Pete and Alexi have stolen mine already. <laughs> what um, they said, yeah. <laughs> I, well, I was going to mention Nate Ross because I think Nate might have been the first animator on the show. He might have even he, been he, on. He was. Yeah. He was the first animator. He might have been on before before Nathan almost maybe was no, it? No, no, uh, or maybe he was with me a bit. But I think Nathan Nathan joined really really early, and I yeah. think Nate was based in LA. He's definitely our first uh, animator, yeah. and he, he did a lot of the research, as you were saying, on the characters, how they yeah. move, and all of that. About the dev work, yeah. and uh, and help us designing the character because uh, knowing how they move will inform us uh, how to design them. So I think it, it was yeah, really key to absolutely. the. So I think you are. It, it's great that you are mentioning it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and also uh, Mike Brunet, like that. We knew that was going to be a complicated sequence with the key card, and we just kind of gave it to Mike. He went off, did his thing, came back nice. with this just incredible. He was a funny story about that. He when he had left the show, and I think I picked up one of his shots just to kind of put, get it to the get it across the finish line. And I was doing something, and I'd kind of moved something. And he messaged me privately. He's on a different show. Messaged me privately and said, um, "I think one of the key card things is backwards." Wow. And I'm like, I, how did you even spot that? It was this little tiny thing. And it's just that he's kind of kept an eye on it Whoa. going down the, uh, down the pipe. And he just, like, he knew it so intricately and he did it so quickly and so, um, so brilliantly. So I, I definitely shout out to him. And I think I, I, I do want to mention uh, one of the other leads, uh, Christoph Boyoko, who selflessly stepped up and took control of that stampede sequence, which was. Yeah, was, like a child like i don't even know how they did it you know like 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 looking back as an animator i'm still not sure how they they managed to do that but he he took charge of that and and he smashed that so i definitely i think he deserves a a, a big a big shout out for taking that on yeah, totally warranted thank you chris alexi any other most valuable players you'd like to call out well, I hope you, you keep every name that I, I used during that interview because I'm not going to repeat them. I think next to Annette, there were Lou Lewington, who, who, is a, who was associate producer. She did, uh, she did fantastic on, on the job as well. There were Ella Weeks as our line producer, and she did really, really good as well. Uh, but I think on the rocket front, I think we had Rachel Williams as our key look dev artist. She looked dev all the different age of Rocket. Uh, and I think the funny story about Rachel is she is the one who looked at uh, Rocket in Guardians 1. Nice. So she basically can proudly say that she did the look dev of all the rockets that exist on Earth. Oh, amazing. Uh, so well done, Rachel. She's a, a fantastic artist. Um, Andrea Demartis was the main modeler uh, we had to model all the different age of Rocket under uh, our lead modeling, Tamash Kurdi. Uh, Tamash is, uh, is probably the best lead modeling I ever worked with. We had uh, Anthony Magdalinidis as a lead groom artist. And as you can see, there is a lot of groomy, fury character in this, uh, in this show. Mm. So I think, uh, I think it was, uh, it was a huge task to do all of this groom. Uh, and so, and so many more. Of course, my, uh, my, uh, partner in crime, Andre Itzoy, he's been my lead lighting for so many movies on the Doctor Strange, on both Doctor Strange and on this one, we did so much together with Andre. I just couldn't achieve a project without Andre. He is just a fantastic artist. 
he was my lead lighting on this one. He's, he's, he's amazing. But so many, I think you could basically take the whole credits and say name after name. Mm-hmm. They all deserve Yeah, just work your way through them. They, yeah. they all deserve credits. We do that as a part two. Yeah. Part two of the, of the podcast, <laughs> we'll just reel off the, the read the credits like, like the phone book. I think they really all deserve credits, yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Couldn't agree. And I'm sure I'm forgetting many people. No, it's all right. It's all right. You can correct it in the uh, the acceptance speech if that happens. <laughs> yeah. Really? Tears? Uh, my next question is my final question on the show, then I've got a couple of fun questions to wrap up the episode, is, is there one question you wish I'd asked you and how would you have answered it? So I've either answered all the right questions and shared them and because we've covered a lot. Is there one area of your experience that you want to talk about that I've not asked you about? Uh, how did you do this amazing marketing stuff? <laughs> 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 and there is an unseen video that I'm not sure anyone will see where Pete is the main actor, yeah. uh, which is really, really funny as well. Uh, no, no, I'm joking, but it's true that uh, to me, I think the work is so good that... Uh, that having uh, having all this little marketing vignette that the animator put together and and uh, on the frame store studio and and seeing how much James Gunn was uh, embracing them and shared them into yeah. all these different social network and uh, considering that the the world always seems to say oh there is no VFX in this movie or or oh, uh, CGI is bad and it's not a mm. Of course, CGI is a great tool in the arsenal of a director to make a movie, and and and, and it depends on the movie you make, and I think it's, it depends if you use it correctly or not. Yeah. But seeing how James Gunn was embracing the visual effects and was saying how great Framestore did on the show, I think that was mm. that was just fantastic end to a fantastic project. Yeah. The fact that he he was speaking about us so much on on social media, uh, I yeah. think I, I wish all the projects were as good during production, prep, production, and post, as well as after the movie's released and all on, on the on the social media, on the marketing. I think uh, yeah. I think it was really a home run this yeah, way. For yeah, sure. Big time, big time. Chris, Pete, anything to add to that in terms of what you wish I asked you? Or have I asked you all the questions? I think you nailed it, Simon. Thank you. That's what I'm fishing yeah. for. Yeah. The, the only one otherwise I was going to say, which I think I think Alexi uh, sort of touched on recently, um, I, I wrote down how much of it is motion capture. Mm. Um, and obviously, yeah, we, we spoke about the, uh, the the cameras, a lot of yeah. the CG cameras, um, mocap or, or adapted mocap. Um, and it, it's one of those as, as an audience that you, you see sort of people with the ping pong suits on and, and you immediately think, oh, mm. OK, data in, data out. Whereas certainly in this show, the, the performances are highly sort of influenced by those wonderful actors, but ultimately they're, they're keyframe performances that are a myriad of, of, of influences from uh, creature and, and character. Thank you, Pete. Thank you. So we asked this question to everybody on the pod. This is a quick fire one. So we've done the most valuable players on Sung Heroes, the directors, the amazing people that worked on the show. But is there anyone you'd like to hear from on this very podcast? So I keep a hit list for people to contact at Framestore. Who would you like to hear on the podcast in the future? So Chris, first, who do you want to hear? I think Pablo would be an interesting Ooh, guy. Ooh, nice. Yeah, he's, got cool. a, he's got so much experience and he's got so much know-how. And he, I think he'd be like, like it would be obviously be kind of an anim, animation hmm. focused one. But like uh, I, think, I yeah. think he'd be really cool to hear from. Yeah, I'd love that. Right. Pablo, tick. Pete. 
I, I would say probably uh, on a similar theme, Mike Eames. Um, uh, he will never come on. I've tried. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe next year. Um, just, just because he's, he's sort of, he seems like this, uh, this untapped resource, mm. this sort of enigma of the animation mm. team. Um, uh, yeah. that, sort of with, with a, a wealth of knowledge yeah, know. that I'm I sure know. we'd all love to hear from. And I know for a fact he listens to the podcast and he enjoys the <laughs> podcast. So Mike, if you're listening, yeah. please come I'll on. I'll take the check later. <laughs> yeah, you know it makes sense. Alexi, who would you like to hear on the pod? Well, of, I think Mike Eames and Pablo Grillo are amazing, talented artists at Framestore, some of the most talented people. Of course, they both have uh, they both come from animation, as you could expect from Chris and Pete. But yes, they are amazing, and uh, and I think uh, I think that would be great. Um, to me, I think it would be more uh, inviting different people at a roundtable. Like here, we were four, and all come from visual effects. I think mm. I think to me, if you were able to invite. Uh, James Gunn and Sean Gunn and Bradley Cooper and one of us. Uh, that's what I want to hear. I want to hear, like, uh, when you do the Paddington one, I want you to invite uh, the director, the production designer, maybe Pablo, maybe myself. But I think it would be great to hear what other departments of the filmmaking process mm. have to say about VFX. Because I think I, I was just saying how much it's great to hear that James Gunn loved VFX. Yeah. But I think, I think we have to communicate more about vfx as a tool it's a, it's like a, it's like you you use a camera you use a, it's 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 a different tool and then there is artists using that tool you know it's but i think communicating between the different departments that's what i want to hear uh, in the podcast uh, different different people talking about vfx yeah. but from a different perspective uh, even even if it's a makeup or or, or, or or any any different people teamed up with one of us basically and seeing a bit of a roundtable between that would be fantastic. And I think uh, you have a fantastic opportunity on on Paddington because we are mm, all here, mm, like mm. Dougal Wilson, the director, and uh, and Uno, the, the editor, and and myself and Pablo. And, and like I, I think uh, I think that would be good. That'd be amazing. Great. Okay, I'll hold you to that, Alexi. I'll be in touch. Excellent. <laughs> right before I let you go, and I know I've kept you longer than uh, I need to, but I've got the kind of. Uh, the fun questions. So this is where, Alexi, you're going to wish that you read the questions because they are very out there. So um, if you were a new character joining the Guardians of the Galaxy crew, what would be your unique alien species, personality traits, and what would your favourite 80s or 90s (laughs) pop culture reference be? You don't have to go through all of those, but if you were going to join, what would be your vibe? Why would the Guardians recruit you? Bit. Uh, to, I guess to kick off, um, I, I think my mine would probably have four arms. Like it as as a new dad, I <laughs> appreciate the need <laughs> for having multiple limbs to um to to keep on top of everything. Uh, thinking about favorite eighties or nineties pop culture reference, I think it would have to be something video gamey, maybe from the nineties, probably something Zelda esque. Nice. Um, I, I can't think of anything specific. I'm afraid. I'll take but, it. Um, I'll take something it. Something along those lines. Thank you for kicking <laughs> us off. Come on, Chris. Then I'll over to you. I mean, when I think of 80s, like like my favorite film from the 80s is The Goonies, Amazing. hands down. So now how does that, how can I weave that into Guardians? I'm not sure. I guess I'd be some sort of a space pirate. Pirate. Probably, yeah. Yeah, I like that. Part, part of One-Eyed Willie's crew back from the dead. I like it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so, Okay, yeah. Chris, I like that. Come on, Alexi, what, what are you going to be? Are you going to dethrone Rocket as the captain of the ship or are you going to uh, bring your own vibe? Uh... 
so what did I like when I was uh, in the 90s? I loved Michael Jackson. Huh? So probably I would always walk in Moonwalk. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and uh, I love the TV show Friends. But what does it mean about me? I would and I would moonwalk into a coffee all uh, all movie. That would be weird. I, like that. Uh, I don't know. I, I'll be honest. I don't know Simon. But uh, it's all good. That's fine. But I like the I like the answer. It's a good one. Well, before we go, one more thing I'm going to ask all of you to do is uh, we have an accompanying Spotify playlist on the Frame Store Podcast Dailies. And rather than pick the song that you listen to while you work, I'm going to ask you to let me know what your favorite Guardians of the Galaxy mixtape track is. And we're going to front load the podcast playlist uh, with those three songs. So if you have one for me now, Chris, I can feel it. Definitely creep 100%. Yeah. Oh, amazing. Brilliant. Yeah. Alexi, give us a tune. The, 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 I can't remember the title, but the... The one they 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 sing at at the end when when Groot and uh, and Rocket are dancing. Oh, dog days, dog days, dog days. I, I, yeah, amazing, amazing, amazing. Good choice, Pete. And it's, it's not from Guardians Three, but I'd probably have to say uh, "Go All the Way" by the Raspberries, which is in the first one. Oh, amazing! What <laughs> what a trio! What a trio of tracks. Thank you, Chris, Pete, Alexi. Honestly, what a great conversation. I must say, doing it, I say it on every podcast. It's such a personal privilege for me. We've had two hours of uninterrupted conversation with three people at the absolute top of their game in the visual effects animation industry. And I just wanted to say thank you for letting us have this conversation. I think people are going to really appreciate this insight into Guardians 3. And it makes me genuinely proud to work at Framestore hearing everything you've all been sharing. So thank you for leaning into the questions. And uh, anything you want to leave our listeners with before uh, we, we wrap up the uh, the episode? Just to say thanks very much for having us. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's a pleasure. Yeah, I really appreciate it. All right. It was fun. Thank you very much, Simon. Yeah. Thanks for organizing that. No worries. Well, good luck with whatever all the shows you're working on. Good luck with Paddington and everything. It's going to be a, a good year. And, you know, we're out of last year's strikes, so it's it's all it's all to play for. So uh, bring it on. And, and thanks again for uh, joining me on the Framestore podcast, Alexi, Chris, and Pete. We'll see you again soon. Cheers. Cheers. Thanks, Simon. Well, that concludes this week's episode. A massive thank you to Alexi, Pete and Chris for being so open about theirs and the wider team's work on Guardians 3. Such a brilliant conversation that I hope you've enjoyed as much as I had recording it. Of course, a big shout out to Sam Sosnowski from the Global Training Team for the exceptional editing job on this one. In just two weeks, we return with another inspiring conversation from another member of the Global Framestore community. Good luck to the whole team for this year's awards season. And until next time, take care, my beloved raccoon. The story's been yours all along. Oh, the dog